1: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. A different type of episode for you today. A short was approached by David Patrick regarding a show on blue-chip players. And as I understand it, David, this comes from a, a theory of... Uh, Presented by Bucky Brooks uh, some time ago.
2: Yeah, Bucky Brooks from Move the Chains podcast. He was a scout before he was a contributor for the NFL.com, and he just always kind of talked about with every team, do you have enough blue-chip, quote-unquote, talent to field a team to win a Super Bowl? And I've always thought about that as I follow the Ravens draft and through the preseason. Does EDC
1: give us enough players to potentially win a Super Bowl? All right. And so a lot of the way the Ravens run the organization, of course, is cap related. So how does Brooks define a blue chip player?
2: He doesn't actually. Um, It sounds more like expert opinion where he'll give opinion pieces on different teams like you did a series last year where he just lists the players and talks about what's exceptional to him. So I think that gives us a little bit of room to play with here where you can look at pro balls historically but I think it's more about eyeball test, elite traits or top 10 stats that you've seen previously or you think that player is going to realize during the season.
1: OK, fair enough. Uh, let's uh, let's let's start with that definition and, and and work from there. One of the one of the points I wanted to make about the about the relativization of players is that a young player on his rookie deal who's playing at a star level is obviously a lot more valuable than an older player playing at a star level. And uh, a team, obviously, is going to have to draft very well and fairly quickly develop these blue-chip players out of their draft.
2: I couldn't agree with you more. I think the, the best example of that in our history is Joe Flacco. He was on his rookie contract, so he's not taking up a huge piece of our salary cap pie. And he played Joe Montana level for that 2012 Super Bowl season. And it allowed the team to have at least 11 blue
1: chip players to really round out their roster. That's really the double whammy there is that by by having Flacco on the contract he had, you really had room for a couple of more blue chip players that are the, that at other positions. So uh, yeah. so you're paying some of the later years of Ed Reed and, and uh, Ray Lewis's career where you're paying full market value for the players. Uh, but you are but you can afford to do it because you, don't, you still have a quarterback on the first contract.
2: Yeah, and when I was reviewing this, Ken, I, I really keep coming back to, yes, you need 11 blue chip players, but the most important position is quarterback. So if your quarterback is not blue chip, especially in the playoffs, which is what I would argue Flacco was in 2012, he just reached a historic height. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it matters if you have 11 players. So there's an asterisk on that when it comes to Lamar Jackson for this coming season because he has not, in my opinion, proved – That when he's playing the best team, who's only focused on him in the fourth quarter, can he put four wins together? Because I think it's unlikely we're going to get that first round by.
1: All right. So let's go back to the definitional component of this, because you talked about Bucky Brooks Mm -hmm. a little bit and that he hadn't really put a definition that you could sink your teeth into on this. What would be your definition of it?
2: So I think that the only objective that I can really go to is Were you or Are you a pro ball player? then it's kind of an eye test for me because I'm a casual fan. Do you look like you're a world beater? Are you a top 10 player? When I watch the games, are you just beating everybody? Or are you ascending to that level like Hamilton last year where by the end of the season, you can just tell he just stands out every time you watch him play? And then the last thing is if you go into stats, can you find something in their athletic profile like a RAS score or a top 15 talent? Um, or do you put up some sort of stats where you're like, that looks like a top 10 player at his
1: position? Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, I like always uh, cheap guys who contribute, but that's okay. We, uh, we'll we we'll get into that as you go along. So let's, let's take a look maybe at the, what do you, who do you want to look at? Do you want to look at an old Ravens team first to, to, to see yeah. how they did? Okay. Let's do that then.
2: Yeah. Let's look at 2012. And so, um, this is kind of in order of importance to me. Um, actually, I do think it's Ray Lewis, for sure, a blue chip player. I mean, he talked about it. The team talked about it. I think he got some playoff caliber blue chip performances out of people by telling him it was his last ride. So Ray, Ed, Suggs, I think those are unquestionable. Ken, I've heard you talk about Matt Burke being one of the top centers in the league. Mm-hmm. I think when you looked at PFF. Ray Rice, pro ball player. I mean, wasn't that
1: the year of the Ray diddle-diddle up the middle against the Chargers? You, Ray had um, not, Ray not a great year in 2012 is my recollection. Okay. Uh, two, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, it was the fourth and 29 play to, yeah. to Rice. Um, and he
2: did make a pro ball that year.
1: Okay. I mean, let me look at what he did that year because I'm forgetting which Maybe. year he, he really fell apart. Maybe it was 13 he, he, he dropped way off. But uh, but I have to look at it again. Yeah, he had 4.4 4 yards per carry. He was down a little bit, but he also had 61 receptions. So while well, his his yardage overall was certainly off from the high of 2000 in 2011 to 1621 the next year uh, from scrimmage, and his touchdowns were down, and whatnot, he still did make a Pro Bowl. So we, we still certainly consider Ray Rice a, a, a cornerstone player at that point. And they certainly gave him cornerstone money starting in 2013. Yeah, they
2: did, um, it, and please question anyone on this list because I think for the most part this is a little bit subjective. Um, but I think Colletti Osemili was one of those first contract. I think he was a rookie, mm-hmm. and come playoff time, I think he just exploded with his ability. I thought he played really, really well.
1: Yeah, I, I agree that they, they made a you know a, a th- three player switcheroo there to basically move Osemili from right tackle to. To left guard move mm-hmm. or to right tackle, and McKinney and at left tackle, which improved two positions mm-hmm. and uh and that was big assembly was probably the the biggest single improvement there i you know he was great and he's a great bargain, and he's undoubtedly the best of those three players I just named in terms of what he was producing relative to um what they were paying him, no right. doubt about it. But if we're really talking about talent relative to payment, I mean, 2012 was a lost season for Ray Lewis in most ways. He, had, he didn't have a good year at, when he was out there. and In fact, in the playoffs, he really didn't play very well, uh, despite the fact he made a lot of tackles. He was you know, wearing a huge uh, arm brace uh, yeah. the whole time and uh, dropped interception, but he had a ton of tackles. Uh, and he did some great things on the goal line against San Francisco. I'm never going to forget. But um, yes. I don't know that I could call him a cornerstone player anymore. I don't know that I call him a a, a a blue chip player. So you'd have to you'd have to go to it and really say that he inspired the team some way or he led the team in some way to 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 get there.
2: And I, I think that's where I'm at. And then you throw on the uh, the fourth and goal, really the goal line stand at the end that won the game. And I don't know if he made that effort to come all the way back and then play hurt. I mean, I remember stories even talking about the week leading up to the Super Bowl. He's still hanging his arm up in his hotel room, trying to get the blood flow out of there to make it heal. But I think without him, I don't know if he's going to make the checks and make other players have their great performances in the Super Bowl. But I acknowledge that his overall statistical play wasn't
1: probably as good as before. Yeah, you know, A lot of coverage issues in that Super Bowl, but unbelievable positioning on those final three plays to, to be in exactly the right place. There's a clear-out route on, I forget if it's second and five or third and five. I actually forget which play it is, but they ran a complex route where they ran basically multiple routes through an area to try and take every drag every defender out of there so Frank Gore could drift into the area for, for the pass. Ray Lewis knew what exactly what was going on. He went to the spot. Uh, Kaepernick didn't look to Gore, went to Crabtree instead. Jimmy Smith basically took his head off uh, on, on that play. And, uh, and, and the Ravens were finally able to get it to fourth down and, and finish him off.
2: Yeah. And if I'm going to talk more about Ray Lewis and his inspirational ability to galvanize the team for a Super Bowl, I think it really started in Foxborough in 2011 season when they lost that playoff game. I listened to his speech over and over again, inspiring the team that everybody loses, and it's what
1: you do with it next year. Because I was in Foxborough. I thought we won. Yeah, I thought we went uh, too. So so you on Evan's catch, you you thought it was a catch. I was uh, jumping up and down. We're going to the Super Bowl. And Maureen had to to slow me down and say, wait a minute, no, he dropped the ball. Yeah, I didn't even
2: see it. I turned around and let all the Foxborough fans know what I thought. And they just pointed around and said, (laughs) you know, your guy dropped the ball. I couldn't even see that kind of missed the Mm -hmm. field goal. I was yeah. confused. Yeah, I was terrible. But I think Ray Lewis really let him know. Yeah, there's next year. Let's do it. So, yeah, but I agree. We can we can leave him off the list for sure. And we still we're, think we're through the rest of these well.
1: players here. We got to kind of pick it up yeah, here a little bit.
2: Let's pick it up. So, yeah. uh, Haloti Nada, pro baller Joe sure. Flacco. We kind of talked about. I think Anquan Bolden meets my kind of postseason blue chip performer, where mm-hmm. when you need a play, he makes it. I think we ran the same play in the red zone on multiple games because we had yep. that new OC and Caldwell sticks. And then in fourth quarter, I think there was long third, third down, and Bolden third was one. covered
1: and still made the play. Yeah, that was the third and one play where what? Flacco checked out of it at the line of scrimmage and threw it okay. to Bolden in single coverage. That was uh sims calling it in real time says i can't believe he checks is checking out of this but he's he's gonna pass the ball and uh jacoby jones certainly had a great postseason no doubt about it and he he was a good return man i don't know if i'd call him a blue chip player he's just his impact on the game is
2: only as a kick returner and punt returner so i'm a i'm a hardball enthusiast so i extend my blue chippers to all right to cheap seats where it's kickers punters Kick returners could be blue chip players. And he had a play in the Super Bowl that really stood out and too. in the uh, Denver game, too,
1: in that postseason. Yeah. Oh, really? I can't remember a play from that Denver game where he was involved. Oh, did he make the mile? Huh? <laughs> he or, oh, you're post-season. going facetious. So I'm so sorry. Yes. That's hilarious. <laughs> you didn't pick up. We're looking at each other here. You're supposed to be able to pick up on my facial gestures there. I'm
2: going to start looking at you, Ken. <clears throat> sorry, I'm looking at my notes. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, and then there are a couple others that, you know, Vontae Leach, Brian McKinney, Justin Tucker, maybe.
1: All right, so to my way of thinking, you're on the margin with a lot of players who I would definitely not call blue-chip players. And and mm-hmm. much as I like Vontae Leach, if Vontae Leach is a, is a blue-chip player, then Patrick Ricard is.
2: Oh, I agree. Okay. Is he
1: All
2: in the right. top 10 at his position? Does he dominate when you watch him do what he needs to do? Okay.
1: All right, well, then then uh, we can look at this. But Marshall Yonder you have. And Ben Grubbs was gone at this point. Yep matt burke yeah, i would certainly agree with and terrell suggs well terrell suggs i would not agree with for 2012. he was hurt most of the year and did not play well he had mm-hmm. two sacks all year um, that's fair yeah well so, darius
2: webb was a blue chip player until he tore his ACL. oh right? yeah he was
1: the best corner in the league and that he that dallas game was a disaster for the ravens ray lewis and yeah. and uh uh webb went down what, what i'm going to say about the 2012 team and this is going to be a little bit of a contrarian perspective, and you know, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't beat on the guests, but I would say that that I, I, I sometimes like to softly challenge here. Please. I would say, without question, mm-hmm. the 2012 Ravens team was the worst of the first five Harbaugh years, and that included a nine and seven team in 2009 that had an unbelievably mm-hmm. great offensive line and still a great defense. Um, I, I to me, it was. It was was certainly thoroughly miraculous that they won the Super Bowl that year as opposed to the others. And if you're looking at like what kind of a playoff share do you have? If You could go with a definition of that, that, you know, you go into the playoffs and you have a 25 percent chance to win it. Or maybe you have a 35 percent chance like in 2006 or in 2019 where they didn't get it either year. If you look at the share of a of a super bowl that you have for for those for those five years they probably had a you know 1.1 or 1.2 super bowl shares for those those five years combined but that 2012 team had the lowest you know percentage one they they probably had about a, a you know a, a 0.12 or something super bowl share that year so uh it was it was a uh it was an incredible ride but uh but you know it's it's not something that I'd want to try and repeat as a formula. I'd rather, I, the only thing I think it's worth looking at in terms of formula is that it's worth making the playoffs every year to try and have a chance to win it. Totally agree with that. And I
2: think that probably was the worst team in that run, except for the asterisk, which is we're a quarterback-driven league. And so I think the year before, Flacco played well enough to win. And the Ravens said, look, we need someone better who can, who can catch it when it matters the most. And that's where I think Anquan Bolden really matters. I think the quarterbacks, a wide receiver who can make the play in the fourth quarter, and maybe a pass rusher who can end the game in the fourth quarter are probably the most important of the blue chip players.
1: All right. Well, let's move on and compare that to the 23 Ravens because I think that's what we're really trying to do in terms of seeing, yeah. is this team ready to win right now?
2: Yeah. So if I can, Ken – Yep. Um, I'd like to just list first the guys where I think unquestioned are probably going to be blue chip players. And why don't you tell me if you think, no, that's kind of out of left field if you challenge any of them to start. If that's okay. Sure. So, number one, Roquan Smith.
1: Uh, absolutely.
2: Mark Andrews. Yep. Absolutely. And they're paying him too. Yep.
1: That's true. Marlon Humphrey. Absolutely. Ronnie Stanley. Uh, yes. And, and, and he's a guy who there is a risk of him not performing at that level. But, yes, absolutely. Totally agree with that. Um, Marcus Williams. Absolutely. Paying him, too. So
2: far, so five guys we're paying tremendous money, too. This is true. Justin Tucker. The Ravens absolutely. do a good job. If you're doing great, they're going to pay you. And then, to me, a little bit of the asterisk is
1: Lamar Jackson. It's mo- Hopefully. Him. It's more well, like him. this is the Matt Judon thing. It's yeah. more like if they pay you, you, you are great but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to pay you if you're great. It's it's it's, if they are paying you, you are great. So that's, that's what's good about them is they haven't really missed on a lot of big contracts.
2: Yeah. And really their misses have been injury related. I think for the most part, they pay a guy and then he can't play or he doesn't come back. And so I think what you said though, applies to a lot of the guys that might become blue chip players this year. And that if they realize their potential, they're gone after this season
1: uh there's some of that some so, of that so uh, who else we got on this list you give it you can me six and it's six of the biggest contracts on the team and then I'm, I'm the last
2: is lamar the last is tucker oh then lamar jackson yeah so i think that's seven solid mm-hmm. okay
1: that's that's the seven is that the team's seven uh you know highest paid players probably probably so who Who else are you going to include in this group to get us up to eleven? Right. So I think
2: that the most likely guys that I would include are Kyle Hamilton. Yep. And to me, I put a little asterisk because I know at nickel, he's a blue chip player Mm -hmm. at strong safety. I hope he's a blue chip player. And looking at some of the moves this off season, when we lost Clark, what were the Ravens doing? They were flirting with guys like Amos to come in. Does that mean they want to maximize Hamilton at nickel or do they want the flexibility to move him down to nickel some of the time that I don't know.
1: You know, there, there could be another answer to this. And I haven't really delved into this on another pod. So this is worth just taking a moment to discuss right now. Mm. I I think they're going to start with Hamilton now at strong safety based on the, the depth of the team everywhere. And part of the, part of the thing is that he's got to be the first decision is where you play him and has the best chance to be a superstar. But the more I think about it, it's it's a reversible, it's as reversible as a vasectomy at least. They may lose some ball games <laughs> here in the, in, the, in the early in the early part of the season if they have Hamilton at strong safety and they don't like it, but they can reverse it because the talent is not so great at, at slot corner that it's going to tell them, you know, you can't replace me uh, yes. right now. at least I don't believe that's the case. And if they moved Hamilton back to slot corner, then you have Geno Stone on the back end again, and I think that you know then you, that's a that's a very viable workable solution. But I agree, you're you're you make a very good point there that that uh, you know you know Hamilton is a a cornerstone player or a, a blue chip player at Nickel, and I completely agree with that. And they're just trying to find is there is there a guy who's even another level of superstar if they move him somewhere else, and it might work out. And if it doesn't, it can be reversed.
2: Yeah. Completely agree. I think that's also why Gino Stone got paid. That's an insurance uh, G- Wait, policy. Wait, did Gino completely Stone get grow. paid today? No. Uh didn't he get a
1: one year extension? Oh the uh the, you may know something I don't, so I'm gonna look it up right now. I, if he did get a one year extension, I'm excited about it. I'm not talking about a one year deal for this year or a one year extension. Uh, oh, sorry, for this year. I thought that he got paid for this year, and maybe I'm
2: wrong. I thought that he, he was Brought back with some sort of one-year contract for this year.
1: Yeah, he he has, from what I can see here, he does have void years, and this is new. If uh, I, this may have happened in the last couple of days, and I I wasn't really aware of this, but he has seven hundred fifty thousand in um, bonus, of which six hundred thousand is paid in four void years. So there he's he's making a million seven sixty this year. That's more than I thought, and yeah. so this might have happened in the last few days. Do you do you know when this happened? Honestly, I'm not sure. I thought it happened earlier in the off season Mm
2: -hmm. where they said, we're investing in you. And I went, oh, okay. Does that mean Hamilton's playing nickel or is this a backup in case Hamilton doesn't work out or, or just a depth piece? Cause you know, he filled in for Marcus Williams last year. Pretty well.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, I, I, I understand that at least at this amount of money, this yeah. doesn't mean he's out of Baltimore necessarily after 23, but this is a fifth void year contract that I wasn't uh, aware of, and they're, they're going to mm-hmm. have to find a way to resign him if they like what he does this year.
2: You know, Ken, I wanted to ask you real quick, if I could. Mm-hmm. Um, these void years, if a player plays well, is it advantageous to the team to sign them to some sort of restructure where they can wipe out some of that void year and pay them if they play well this year?
1: I, I am not... Um, the guy to ask that kind of question too, because I don't know all the ins and outs of the cap. And specifically since the Ravens have never used void years before I'm, I'm particularly ignorant there. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to, I don't want to say something that's wrong. I, I Brian McFarlane or Dan Reese are good guys to go to uh, on Twitter to ask that kind of question to. But uh, it, it's, it's certainly possible that it's restructurable, but um, let me think about this year. Yeah, I think, I think, I think six hundred thousand of that prorated bonus has not yet been paid. So it may be that six hundred thousand of that could be somehow moved around and paid differently uh, in the coming years. Of course, the player would have to agree to it, and I think the player would have to play or play at a higher level. In Stone's case, I think the Ravens may be hoping that get, they could get him on a series of rolling two year contracts. But he may he may well outplay something like that if he gets significant playing time this year. Right on
2: um next guy who i think is probably highest on the list is kind of an injury question now unfortunately Mm -hmm. he has appeared on the pup list with some sort of vague knee injury and that's tyus bowser yep i think that he's a complete linebacker he can cover he can rush he he can play
1: the run he's irreplaceable really is yeah, enormously valuable to the Ravens' flexibility in their pass rushers. We've talked about on this show a lot. Uh, his ability to drop to cover and how often he's done it was a complete staple of Wink's ability to rush. They used it actually a little bit less as a percentage of snaps. I think he was down from 39 to 25 uh, last year, and so that's maybe a little bit more of a, of, a, of a typical four man straight ahead rush used by McDonald. Uh, but his ability to drop means you can rush somebody off the slot. You can rush a linebacker. You can rush a safety if you want to. Uh, it's just a it's a big part of the the Ravens things. Unfortunately, I'd have to take him off this list based on where he is with the knee injury right now, and I don't know if you saw it, but there was some video of him walking into camp that was posted by Kyle Barber today that did not look good. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a shame. Well, maybe he can
2: make a playoff run. I um, you know, Fair enough. Uh, next guy, I think that is highest on my list is actually Patrick Queen.
1: Okay, certainly a um, a valuable player. Played very well with Roquan last year. Um, you could certainly make a case he's a blue chip player. Uh, he's he's not a guy I, don't, I think that the Ravens are going to end up paying, but that doesn't mean he can't be a blue chip player because the Ravens are pretty much the cupboard is full of of contracts that they can uh, hand out. So uh, yeah, uh, if I think
2: if Queen made a few of those easy picks in the beginning of the year, just to, statistically speaking looking at all the interceptions he made. but then the eyeball, if you look at some of the plays, the interceptions he made against Burrow late in the year, I mean that was phenomenal that that drift back uh, where he tricked Kenny, can I pick it against the Steelers mm-hmm. I mean great plays he can blitz. and I think that when I look at Roquan coming over and Roquan admittedly said he kind of didn't know the playbook that well. Why did he jump so big in a system he didn't know that well? He went to an all-pro level and made our defense top three. Yeah. It seems like Roquan is, impl- is implicating that Queen is just an exceptional talent to run with. And I think that when Queen said that he was a little upset about Trenton Simpson, who I think is actually maybe a replacement for Bowser one day, just by body build and type and coverage ability – it seems like Eric DaCosta said, hey, we might want you here. We might extend you. So I look at that as a really clear sign that my eyeball test is right in the second half of the season, that Queen might be a blue chip player and really really earn himself a big contract, potentially somewhere else, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there, there are definitely some, some big positives tonight. I think he was playing a little bit better before Roquan arrived. Then Roquan arrived, and uh, he took another leap forward. There was another coincident thing that happened with Roquan arriving because that's exactly when Tyus Bowser came back.
2: That's so and, true,
1: and he was uh, he was a big lift to the defense as well. But Roquan never had played as well in Chicago; much more inconsistent player during his his first few years. And all of a sudden, he's just he's a much better player, and um, the, the roles are much more natural for the two. For for a give Queen many more plays where he's the trail player. Um, is just much more natural to him. I think also he keyed off Roquan. Roquan is a little better at finding the football and keeping track of it. Uh, And and Roquan uh, and he developed a um, symbiotic relationship in terms of their ability to be up at the line of scrimmage and drop and allow another guy to blitz or at least not let the other team know the one that was coming was at the line of scrimmage. And that became very, very uh, potent for the Ravens in terms of their pass rush down the stretch. Yeah, I think we have a lot to look forward to.
2: Those are the two players I'm going to be watching the most this year when the ball is snapped on defense. All right, so
1: we got we we. I know we have some more blue chippers to identify here. Still,
2: so. yeah. So Odell Beckham Jr. is really high on my list because I look at that that Ram Super Bowl and that ramp up that he did, and he was on his way to Super Bowl MVP in my opinion. And when I think about what was said about when he was signed by the Rams after his 2020, his first knee surgery for his ACL and that the Rams team doctor came down and said, we need to do surgery. And he said, to hell with that. I'm playing. And he said, okay, now if you have an ACL where you have a failed graft and and I'm not an orthopedist, but if you have a failed graft, or if you have a stretched out ligament or on your imaging, it doesn't look good maybe 10 to 20% of people can still do athletics without that because they just have such great athleticism, muscle, all those other things that allow them to still play. But if you put it at a dynamic position like receiver where you're putting all that force on your knee, your stability will really shake. And I think that he ramped up in the playoffs and said, to hell with it, I'm going for it. And it took him as far as the first half. And so I don't know that he was ever truly healthy. I don't know if that surgery ever, from the surgical perspective or the physical therapy perspective, the training perspective, it's been documented that he didn't return as quickly as the Browns wanted, so something was off. And so now he had the same surgery because his other knee was healthy to do that harvest for a patellar implant, which is Mm -hmm. the gold standard of making that ACL really strong. And All the reports are that it's there, it's healthy, He's had 18 months to recover. I think he's going to be a really explosive athlete who at minimum we ramp up and can get a really great December, January, and hopefully February out of him.
1: I'm really high on Odell. Okay. Let me just say that's probably the, the most reasoned argument I've heard that Beckham might return to some of his former playing status that I've heard. And it's good to hear it coming from somebody who, who has uh, you know, a medical background or whatnot. Uh, so I appreciate that. Um, i still have to look at his age and the fact that he hasn't really played during this last year even if we think his athleticism is back um and say there's just too many damn counter examples to it for me to buy into it but that said you know I'm, I'm i think you know he had a great postseason in 2021 and didn't play in 22. Uh, even even if you were his doctor and you told me everything was fine fine you know he's he's, he's good to go um, I, I I still don't know that I'd bet on him, and so I I, you know, I I think it's a good thing for the Ravens if he's not their top receiver. Unfortunately, right now with Bateman's situation, I think he's going to have an increased role, and I'm I'm really not happy about that. But anyway, it is what it is, and and if if you think Odell's a, a blue chipper, that's fine. He, he'd be off my list. Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, let's see some other guys. I think the last guy. No, that's, that's my, my 11 of most likely um, a few other guys that, you know, I'm personally very high on or a long shot, admittedly, but it's David Ojabo.
1: Yeah. Not, not too much of a long shot. I I like him as a, as a chance. I'd say if you really want an impact player, a guy who's going to do some outrageous things, Ojabo might be a better bet than Beckham.
2: I agree. Yeah. I mean, the main issue is just really his fastball pitch is a speed rush. Mm-hmm. And so Is his Achilles all the way back? It sounds like based on reports, feels that way when you hear Jabo, when he's talking to the crowd or he's talking to reporters, he's like, I don't even want to talk about this. I'm ready to go. But I think that you combine him with his fastball intact with Dr. Rush, giving him an actual spin move. That excites me. That's where I think that we might realize a guy on a rookie contract who could explode for 10 sacks. And so I'm really looking at him
1: he's He has got extremely violent hands and he does a lot of other things well as a as a pass rusher, but he needs that get off to to be what he is um yeah. he uh, you know what I hear about ajabo is that he's already got some ability with compound moves you know so whether it's a euro step or a, or a spin move or any number of other moves that involve you know showing something to that tackle and then making another move to to as as the second part of that and timing it well. Those are the things that Chuck Smith should be able to work with him and do very well. And I I'm I'm very bullish on Ojabo this year. You, you don't have um, Adafe Owe on here, and he'd be on my list. I I think I'm just exhausted.
2: I, I think I pushed <laughs> him so hard to my friends last year and it just didn't really come. And he's got a much higher RAS than Ojabo. I mean, Ojabo's like nine three nine, and I think is like nine nine or something like that. But when I watch him, there's just some sort of flow to his game that I don't see, that I do see in Ojabo. Because Ojabo not only has that speed and those violent hands, but he has natural bend. He can really bend under the tackle and complete that move. And Odafe, maybe it's just opportunity. They underused him last year, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on why he might be your blue
1: chip. Well, start with the fact that, that he was used improperly last year, he used too much and at mm. the wrong position and playing a lot of Sam where they didn't really have anybody else before Bowser returned. And then they, they moved him back. They cut down his, his snaps per game. And he was back to rushing very effectively at the end of the season. What what I think that I want to see worked on this off season more than anything is always work on his get off. You know, he's, mm. he's got to get off of the get out of his stance um, and get up in that t- into that tackle as quickly as possible, and he's a better athlete than any any left tackle that's ever played the game. Let me just say that <laughs> it's really quite simple, and uh, you know, in so doing, in, in his first move, should absolutely cause overreaction from that tackle and if it doesn't you know there, there's it's probably something about his get off is still being too slow and he's allowing that that tackle to get set up in exactly the way he wants to first or even worse um making that first contact that throws off always timing which you can't have so you know i i, I want to see Away, get off the ball quicker. I know they had these driver's ed test machines when I took driver's ed in about ooh, this was about nineteen seventy nine, so it was a long yeah. time ago. So, at, where where they would time how long it would take you to to press the pedal after you saw a light it was trying to teach you. That, that you need to stop a long time before you, you, you know, you, you kind of had to kind of anticipate the light, look for the stale green and that you didn't really have time to stop when you just saw yellow late and that kind of thing. But it was basically timing yourself on on how long it would take and you could get better at that Uh, practicing and I've got to believe there's a way they can train athletes to have a faster get-off
2: oh absolutely I'm sure and if there's anyone who can do it who has the clay to be molded it's Mm -hmm. him but I'm just now after two seasons plus when I look at what zero sacks in college or did he have a sack in college zero
1: sack in his final year final year final year thank
2: you yeah. I, maybe something's missing. I mean, right now he's looking like a really great
1: Courtney Upshaw and I won a lot. Oh man. Oh, that is such an under evaluation. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy, he would not want to hear that. And Courtney Upshaw had more, more um, personal fouls than sacks
2: in his career. That's true. So, no, I just mean in terms of, what did Courtney Upshaw do really well? His run defense in yeah. his edge setting. And I think Odafe has shown that in college and with the Ravens that he can do that. And I think he has all the potential in the world to be a blue chipper. I'm just, I'm going to not bet on him this year because I lost the last two years. Okay.
1: All right. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, uh, what about others? Because I've got a couple others yet.
2: Yeah, please go go for it.
1: Well, I mean, I, I'll start with Zay Flowers. I think he's oh, probably yeah. the, the, the Ravens' best receiver, probably needs to be on the list. And uh, he's the most important receiver by far because he's the one guy who can take the top off the defense, who can draw safety help. Um, if I were looking at the things Beckham could do for this team, one of the big ones is to teach Flowers how to run better routes. Flowers, incredibly sudden athlete, but – he doesn't throw wiggle at the defender at the top of the stem like you'd want a great route runner to do. And Beckham is one of the great route runners in the last decade in the NFL. And, and having him here should be a big difference. In fact, it's one of the things I really loved was seeing Beckham, Flowers, and Lamar all practicing together.
2: Oh, it was wonderful. And uh, on the Lounge podcast, I know that they were talking to Zay and asking him about the workouts they were doing in Miami, him and Odell and Lamar, and they were like, oh, how does Odell work out? And he was like, "He didn't really work out. He taught me stuff. And it was oh, like, great. Exactly, perfect. So right to your point, Odell, I think is locked in to do that for, for Zay. I mean, my issue really, Ken, is that I think there's a difference between him having a fantastic rookie season, something that I haven't really seen before to the level for the Ravens, mm-hmm. and being a blue chip player all year long, being a pro ball, can't miss, can't stop, you know, fantasy darling. I think he has it in him. And the comparison, it's lofty, but I think that he has Antonio Brown in him. When I watch him, if he realizes all of his potential, I think it's Antonio Brown. If he doesn't realize all of his potential, I think he's better than Julian Edelman. I mean, he's just so
1: sudden, always open. So you're seeing but him I, as playing he, in the slot, really, as opposed to play, playing on the um... – playing a, a Z say.
2: I think that if we get the full complement of our receivers, Odell, and if we also get Bateman back, mm-hmm. I think that naturally Zay would be the best at being in the slot with those two on the outside. I think Zay can absolutely maybe when Odell leaves, move to the outside because he did it in college. I just think that he can build his game so much because he didn't even start playing receiver until his junior year of high school.
1: A lot of, um, Drawing that, I mean, you can draw safety attention from from a vertical run from the slot as well. But I I think that you have other options if he's at the at the Z spot because you can motion him, you can do other things that that would that would drive value, like we saw from Duvernay last year and, and in a, in the last couple of years. But uh, but I I would personally see him as as being more of a Z guy. We'll we'll see how this works. I out. love I, it. I, yeah. Sorry, I love it. I hope you're right.
2: And I think that I, just kind of like Odafe, I'm a little exhausted at taking first-round wide receivers from the Ravens and saying, you're going to be a pro baller this year. It's like, I'm going to just give him some time to blossom because I think he's going to be great. I think he's going to be great.
1: Torrey Smith, great in his rookie year. So it's it's not unheard of. So we'll uh... – We'll wait. we we'll wait on this. One. I think the pressure is going to be on Flowers tremendously. I think the the targets will be there for him this year. I think, basically, I don't think he can miss there uh, without. He could he be hurt, obviously, but, he, but yeah. I don't think he can miss if he's if he's yeah. healthy in terms of getting the proper number of targets.
2: And EDC doesn't get credit because I think Hollywood Brown was pretty good in his first year, especially having screws in his foot after a Liz Frank injury. I mean, I thought he had some great games, and made some big plays. Oh yeah, definitely, I,
1: definitely impacted opposing defenses
2: too. Yeah, absolutely. You talk about taking the top off the defense. Game one in Miami just went off. But uh, talking about Liz Frank, if I can, I'd like to bring up Rashad Bateman. Get your thoughts on him.
1: Well, Bateman, if he was completely healthy, he'd certainly be the Ravens' best receiver. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, in my mind, he'd be the Ravens' best receiver. Uh I agree. he's their only natural X and he's the guy who, who is the best route runner on the team, maybe other than Beckham, but he certainly has the best separa- separation capabilities at the top of the route. Um, because Beckham's not the speed player he, he once was. Um you know, the same problem that all the receivers have, frankly, on the Ravens is hands. Uh the, mm-hmm. that they uh, the Ravens have such a group they've assembled a group where they obviously it's like they didn't take any measurements or metrics or question hands at any consider hands in any way in in, in getting this group together but uh uh likely has a big problem dropping the ball andrews drops it some beckham's drops at 20 or 30 percent more than the league average does he really uh, beckham does with his 10
2: inch hands he and all his one-handed warm-ups he he drops that
1: much look at his look at his percentage drop rate for his career and compare it to the nfl drop rate and you'll see Nelson Aguilar, one of the biggest droppers in recent years. Uh, Darius yeah. Slayton is a, is a guy who drops it a little more. And Ravens fans wanted him too. So uh, it's, it's a, it's a group that that has a lot of trouble holding on to the football. And and I hope that that doesn't become a, uh, an ongoing disease. And they, they, Marquise Brown obviously had a problem with it when, when he was here. Uh, I, I just, I, it's something they probably should spend a little time on trying to, to, get better catching technique. Some of it's a hand placement. There's a lot of focus. Um, and there's just got to be some receiving coaching going on that improves that because if, obviously if you drop, uh, you know, let's say four percentage points more of catchable balls, that's going to, that's going to significantly impact your, your catch rate and the, and the quarterback's completion rate. And that's not, uh, uh, you know, not what you want. Man, what a great
2: point. I haven't thought about that, but coaching my up. That's why we hired Greg Lewis. All of his success sure. in Kansas City. So yeah. there's cause for optimism. My biggest issue with Rashad, and I love Rashad, I think that Rashad has the ability to be our true number one, or at least I did. And the problem is the Liz Frank injury. Yep. And it's not just players like Jimmy Smith, who's had every lower leg injury on the on planet Earth, and then 10 years later says, you know, I still feel the Liz Frank. That could be arthritis. Mm-hmm. Liz Frank apparently – And, you know, I've talked to some buddies who are actually orthopedic surgeons. It's very, very hard to get that fixation right to make a full recovery. And to me, Rashad's superpower was his route running. So I really hope that he is the exception to the rule where he can realize all of his potential back, because if he does,
1: he could be great. Let's talk about that for a second. You say fixation. And by that, you mean that the, the, the ligament of the bone has to be placed back properly and screwed in such that it heals in properly?
2: I think it's more about getting the perfect angle and getting the heel right. And, again, not an expert, just trying to get some layman understanding as best as I could that that's really the difficult one, and that's why it's described as the hardest thing to return from. Now, he has his screws out, which is phenomenal. That's awesome. It's a great sign. It's better than Hollywood Brown when he had his Liz Frank injury. But recalling Hollywood Brown's sophomore season, he was like, man, I'm so much faster. I feel so much better and so, I just found out today Bateman's on the pup, yep, and I think that that's appropriate, and I hope he has a second half of the season that we can all be proud of where he recovers faster than any of us could expect in terms of realizing all of his explosive ability because he's a great route runner to me
1: so that would be that would be one year exactly in terms of the recovery time. I've always heard like. Well, I've heard a one year recovery or 11 month recovery, but then you also hear about it's still not right after that and it can be longer. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm, obviously it's a it's a major concern to Bateman's career value that he's that he's had this injury. But um, so
2: I've had just from a personal experience, I've had orthopedic major surgery and I Mm -hmm. remember they told me this is the expected time table for you in terms of months where you'll return and you will be yourself again, at least 95%. And I remember hitting that mark and feeling like I'm 95% better, but I'm not 100%. And that last 5% felt like it was double the amount of time that was quoted to me where Mm. I forgot I had the injury. I'm not thinking about it. I have no pain. If anything, I'm getting better, stronger, faster. And so I don't know if that's true of Liz Franks, but it seems like by the second season after ACLs, Liz Franks, some of these major surgeries that in the second year, they can really go beyond that injury and not think about it anymore.
1: Right. All right. All right. You have any other players for us that fit into this blue chip category for the 2023 Ravens? I have maybes
2: just real quickly. I think Travis Jones is a maybe. That's a good one. he could uh, explode like Broderick Washington. I, I felt like, Roddy came out of nowhere and became a really great two-gap guy. Some of the film that's out there, you just see him throwing people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that Travis Jones, when Michael Pierce said he's the strongest player he's ever played with, I mean, before he hyperextended his knee in the preseason, he was throwing grown men around. And he played decently with, a, with an injury all year.
1: If, if I can plug an old pod here, if you listen to the Brent Urban interview pod, by the way, fantastic stuff. Brent Urban was great, has great story personally, but he also has a, gr- a great uh, uh, understanding of the game and, and can tell you about the other Ravens linemen in some ways. But one of the things he said was that, you know, when he crosses the face of a guard and he wants to go into it, he can't really do the one arm is longer than two trick that I sometimes talk about. Because he he his arms aren't strong enough to take it, or you know it's too much impact, or whatever. So he has to go in with two two arms at once, and then change to one as soon as he's got him held off and has the as the the proper seat. But he says the guy I've seen do one arm is Travis Jones, and so it's 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 worthwhile listen uh, just to hear that one comment. But there's a, but Brent says a lot of other real cool stuff on the show. That's
2: fantastic. That's fantastic. I'm going to look for that this year and see if Travis Jones is throwing people just with one hand when he goes on a stunt because him and Pierce and Pierce is another guy. I mean, he's played what nine games in three years. Granted, one of those was a COVID sit out Mm -hmm. when he's healthy. Isn't he a top 10 nose tackle at minimum? I mean, this guy is a phenomenal player. I just don't know that he's going to be healthy. Poor guy. I mean, he keeps coming back. But if he's healthy, good Lord, and he's a force multiplier for the other two guys, Broderick and Travis Jones. So I think he might be a linchpin. If he's healthy, I think we're playoff bound in a big, big way.
1: Yeah, he's he's a huge player for the Ravens. In fact, if you're talking about the players you really want to stay healthy that aren't the obvious ones, he he definitely would be one. Yeah. Uh, so you've got Travis Jones on your maybe list, and you've got Michael Pierce yeah. on a he's he's kind of important list, but he's, you're yeah. not, you're not relying on him, it sounds
2: like. I'm not. And, and, you know, one guy that I'm not relying on, but I'm hopeful for, and I know would be a blue chip player at some point during the season. And I know he could be a guy that ends games for us in the playoffs. If he were on our roster and that's Justin Houston, because he got, I've heard you make this point many times in your podcast. And I agree he was misused because everyone was injured last year and maybe he got tired. I don't know. How old is he? 33, 34, 35. And he can still, dominate in the fourth quarter so i really hope we sign him back i would love to have
1: him now, coast him along i don't think that's going to happen and it's not a matter yeah. of they don't think houston is good it's a matter nine and a half sacks last year but yep. it's a, it's a matter of uh and he's 30 i'm sorry i look was meant to look for his age that's what i was looking oh, for thank so he, you he was 33 last year so be 34 is 34 as of january so he's uh he's 34 and change now um, but, but it's not, it's not a matter of the, uh, that they don't think he, he would add something to the pass rushes. The problem is not a good fit because they have, no, not even the money it's, it's a matter oh. of he's, he's a rush linebacker and they already got Ajaba, who they didn't have at the beginning of last year and Oway, mm-hmm. who they are now are going to play there all the time. Uh, and, and also, um, uh, Tavis Robinson are really all rush linebackers and they need Sam guys now. That's why they're looking at Van Noy. Right. And, you know, the Bowser injury is very serious for the team because they don't really have another Sam linebacker in house uh, ready to go. Yeah, I think that that makes perfect sense. And
2: unfortunately, I might not get what I want, but I, I totally believe in the team. And Van Noy, I'll take him. I mean, what a great pivot. And hopefully Bowser can come back because I
1: think that he's kind of the linchpin. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think Van Noy for the whole season, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be what the Ravens would want. I don't think he would be Tyus Bowser, but if, if he could play, um, yeah, as it would turn out, I I'd like what I'd really like him to play is about a third of the Sam snaps, and with Bowser playing two thirds of them. But if if it turns works out to be half and half because the injury and a slow ramp up and this and that, yeah. um, I'd be very happy with that at this point for Bowser. I, if he could somehow mm. play half the snaps this year, and not. You know, when when he might not be there for the for the opener, then I'd be very happy.
2: Yeah, I mean, one other guy that might interest you, Ken, um, is J.K. Dobbins. I sure. Mean, I don't know on him. I'm not betting high on him, and it's not because I don't think he has ability, and it's not because I don't think he's healthy. It's very common after an ACL tear to have something called. Uh, arthrofibrosis, which is basically advanced scarring, which is, as we all know, he went against the team and got a scope, cleaned it up, and all of a sudden he got his range of motion back. I think his explosion will be there for sure this year because he's now had a whole off season, and usually that scope doesn't really make
1: for a long recovery. But is this, his that's the 10 question league? I have for you? Please, why? Yeah. Why? If is there any reason to believe? And he's starting the he's starting on pup this camp, yeah. So is there any reason to believe that a scope done in the middle of last year when he played afterwards and clearly did not look like himself in terms of his finishing burst, you yeah. know, in terms of his ability to finish some runs, yeah. that, uh, that he should still be recovering from such a procedure now when he already played almost a year ago? Not, well, not almost a year ago, but, you know, a good portion of a year ago. To me, I think it's unlikely
2: that he's still recovering. I actually talked to a buddy specifically about this. Hey, you have arthrofibrosis. You got a scope. You have a whole offseason. Is that going to delay your return to field and your performance? And he said, typically not. He could be injured or the Ravens might say, hey, you're upset. You got injured last time. We'll just put you on pup for a while and let you cool, let you hang out. Or maybe he is nursing something. I'm not sure. But it could be that they're just kind of doing gamesmanship with his
1: ass for more money. But I don't know. All right. Well, uh, I hate speculating on that kind of thing, so I'm not, I'm not going oh, to, but okay. is, is it, is it possible also, is it possible also that he, he got had another scope procedure during the off season that he might be secondarily recovering from is it, could oh. he could have had it cleaned a second
2: time. He could have had it cleaned a second time. I mean, if someone scars aggressively, they can scar again, but typically speaking from a scope to clean up scar tissue, where you see that someone all of a sudden is much, much better. He got much of his range of motion back. I think that limitation in his top speed was just that he had surgery and he needed to have an off season recover from it. If there's something else going on, he could have tweaked something new. I'm not sure. Maybe they're just being cautious with his recovery. Like they are with Bateman who had a Liz Franck and they're saying, Hey, that's a hard one. Let's kind of easy back in. But again, that's speculation for sure. All right. Very good. But uh, I I think that JK is losing Greg Roman a little bit. Maybe he's going to lose some of those snaps with Lamar for the option because he had blue chip ability in terms of his average yards per carry. I think it's top 10 ever. It's way above five. Right. And so is he going to get that anymore? I don't know. Is he with the team next year? I don't know. So I'm not counting on him, but I would love to be wrong, and I'd love for him to get a huge – huge bag at the end of the season, potentially not from the Ravens because, you know, he rushes for over a thousand yards and has 400 yards yeah. in, in the air.
1: I'd yeah. love it. No, I, I, well, I'd love it too. And, and uh, be happy to see him get it. Cause there's a lot of players right now who are in their fourth year or, or otherwise free agents will be leaving the Ravens at the end of this year. And the Ravens don't have the money to sign all of them. In fact, they probably don't have the, the, the money to sign many, many of them at all. Uh, and in particular, the ones who have big years, there's almost not enough money for that. So, you know, you have Zeitler and Washington and Matabike and Dobbins and, um, who am I forgetting here? But, uh, the, Did you say Broderick? Yeah, I, I already had Washington. You, and you said Broderick. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, the, but that, that's not all of them. There's, there's, there's a huge number of free agents that, right. that the Ravens are gonna have go and and they they just they can't pay them all. And so Kevin Zaitler, Patrick Queen is another Kevin right. Zaitler wants a contract, Patrick Queen right. wants a contract, JK Dobbins right. wants a contract, and they have to have the same answer for all of them, pretty much. And yet they also need to probably try and get one of those two defensive linemen signed because they've only got one defensive lineman for 2024. So gonna be a gonna be a really tough season. I just I don't think it's gonna be received well. If Matabike is left out, Washington gets a deal because he's the cheaper of the two and and is right priced. And then Matabike is going to be upset and all the other fourth year players at other positions are going to be upset. And it's just, it's, it could get ugly. Well, you know, um, I
2: think they should talk to their agents and and look at the league because to me, they all cheered on Lamar to get a huge bag and we have a salary cap. And when he takes, X percentage of the cap. I mean, Sarah Ellison has a great point about percentage of cap and likelihood for Super Bowls and Patrick Mahomes was the highest cap percentage last year in terms of winning a Super Bowl because he just right. took so much money. So Lamar Jackson took money from other players and he deserves it. That was the market. But it means a lot of guys are going to be unhappy. And I totally agree. I think Broderick Washington over Matabike, because he's going to probably be right player, right price, unfortunately. I hope yeah. Matabike plays too good this year to be able to be signed. Cause
1: it's going to be pricey. Right. And, but, and if he uh, does, that's good for him. If Justin oh, yeah. B. K. gets a big contract somewhere else, that's fantastic.
2: Um, I think that you, you, we might be able to sign JK and I'll tell you why. He's got injuries, so that's going to count against him. And if you look at the market, how many big time running backs who are healthy are going to be free agents next year that he's competing with. And so, it might be a scenario where the Ravens say, we love you. This is what you're worth to us. Go try and get it. And if he doesn't, please come back and we'll pay you and we'll play you. That's the Ozzy
1: Newsome method. That's uh, you know, go test the market here. In fact, we'll give you a support offer here at this lower level. And then, uh, and then we'll talk in two months if you don't, uh, if it doesn't work out for you. Yeah. Yeah. I got one more speculative
2: two seconds for you. Keaton Mitchell, long shot, but punt returner, kick returner. If you're willing to, indulge that as something I think that he's got the profile he's got the speed the leverage instincts that maybe we throw him in a pump returner and he starts bringing back a few touchdowns this year or at least in the postseason I think he's a long shot to make the team but watching his tape it's the closest thing to watching Lamar to me where it's just someone who's so fast and so athletic and can just move around get him in open space put him on special teams Harbaugh loves it so maybe he's a a dark horse to be on the blue chip performers.
1: You had a couple guys on your list that in the, in the materials you sent me that you didn't name, Justin Matabike, Tyler Linderbaum, there are maybes also. Uh, absolutely. I
2: mean, Justin Matabike, he's coming into that fourth year. He's, he can penetrate, he can get sacks. Campbell's gone. He's going to get more opportunities. I hope he gets 78 sacks. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I think I, again, have fatigue on that guy where I, I drank the Kool-Aid from Peter King a couple of years ago. <laughs> when it was obligatory. Hey, second year defender on the Ravens. Who's going to be defensive player of the year? And I went, Matt BK Yeah, of course. He's got everything I want. Um, but he might be Kruger this year. That explodes for uh, double the sacks that he normally gets. I hope he does. I really do. What about uh, you? Do you think you think Matt Abike is going to have a big season
1: this year? I, I think it's a usage issue. I think actually they can fix. All, there's some addition by subtraction they can do with Matt Abike that will that is uh, you know potentially very positive. Uh, so if they he's at 59 percent of snaps last year, I think if he dropped into the high 40s, that would be good. Mm-hmm. And the Ravens have multiple ways to get there, but they also are going to have more total defensive snaps to share. So percentage doesn't do it alone. Of course, it's number of snaps. And uh, and he could, yeah, I think. Anyway, basically, at the at the at the baseline of this are are two things. If he can if he can play mostly pass rush snaps, that's going to benefit him. And mm-hmm. the second thing is for him to play mostly pass rush snaps. Somebody else has to play early down three tech, and I believe that's Travis Jones in, in a one three matchup with uh, uh, with Pierce.
2: Yeah, and just kind of thought experimenting to piggyback your point if he is going against guards and centers and if Ojabos as good as we think and if Odafe's as good as you think screaming around the edges mm-hmm. where's the quarterback in the slide right into Matabike. so he's got if he gets the opportunity i think it's there
1: yeah we'll see, we'll see where on third down how they align even because one of the things they can do is is get most of their defensive linemen off the field to control the snap counts there which is it's a it's a high fatigue position and it's one where they, they, uh, uh, they, they really ought to try and manage snaps very carefully. And they do. The Ravens are a rotational team. But losing Calais Campbell is just enormous in terms of having oh, yeah. a guy who is a, a bulwark in terms of playing a lot of, a lot of uh, snaps.
2: Yeah, I was, I was really sad to see him go.
1: Yeah. He's so good. So um, you, you have Tyler mm-hmm. Lindebaum on your list, but you don't have Kevin Zeitler on your list. Where's your, where's your reasoning there?
2: Uh Zeitler's had 10, 11 years to see if he can be a blue chip player. And I don't know that he has, I don't have access to PFF, but I'll, when I watch, I don't go, that guy's just dominant. And when I watched Tyler Linderbaum in terms of raw potential and what you were talking about with first guy or first, first contract guys, he's a great run blocker. Can he go from mediocre pass blocker to something average? And he's got the, one of the best position coaches to do it and the will to do it, and that's Joe D. So if he can be average, I think he's a blue chip player. But the other question is I've seen him in Roman's offense. I don't know what he does in Munkin's offense. If we're just throwing the ball around, does he become a liability? So I'm not sure. And, and Zeitler, I just I don't want to bet on.
1: Okay, well, fair enough. Uh, Zeitler, I think, is, is one of the narrowest bands of where I would expect his season to be. Of, of any reason mm-hmm. player, I think he's a north star in terms of your ability to guess what what exactly we would do. He scored absolutely identically to Ben Powers last year, which means he had oh, a great wow. year in terms of of what he did for the whole year in my system. Um, mm-hmm. And both the, both he and Powers had the uh, right direction uh, complements, meaning they're better pass blockers than they are run blockers. Which is it's, it's it's what you want at any offensive line position, but you especially want that at, at uh, well you, you especially want it at tackle, but but you really want at guard too, uh, and you still want it at center, even though it, there are people who tell you it's less important at center. Uh, I, I, Linderbaum's case, I I think. The, the the uphill battle for him this year will be twofold. One is more pass snaps liability, like you mentioned. The other one is new left guard who isn't going to be a good pass blocker, isn't going to be as good a pass blocker as power. So those are my two fears about him.
2: Great point. Great point. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Uh, Broderick Washington, we haven't really talked about. He made a huge jump last year. I think he might have maxed out on his jump and Mm -hmm. and for me as good as I think he played last year I don't know that he's a blue chip player I would agree and and I say that with respect Brad Washington I think you're amazing in case you ever listen to the podcast (laughs) Um, uh, and then Patrick Ricard you know I, I think that if we use him as fullback he's he's exceptional you just watch clips of him annihilating people as a blocker but does he really have a role in Munkin's offense where apparently, according to Jones, that uh, ex-Green Bay receiver is talking about how Munkin's going to go back to Louisville and he's going to spread everyone out and we're going to have four receivers. I don't know that we have a full so back. So Ricard will be to... one
1: of our slot guys. That's okay.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Running out to the flat. Yeah, there you go. Stretching the, every blade of grass. Um, <laughs> and then Isaiah Likely, you know, another guy who just showed great promise. Mm-hmm. led the team in terms of highest amount of yards for a rookie tight end last year, but can he be a blue chip? Unfortunately, I don't even want to say it, but he, it would be unfortunate for him to realize his blue chip potential this year. Because it I might be injury-related. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I would never wish that on Andrews because I love Andrews, and I think that he's he's our number one option. I think yeah. that he's going to get the target share.
1: And, and there is another possibility. Likely could... could become a much bigger part of the offense with injuries at wide receiver too.
2: Oh yeah. And the, the,
1: the Ravens at wide receiver are not, I mean, they're already walking wounded in a lot of ways with Odell coming back from an injury, DuVernay mm-hmm. coming back from an injury, although he apparently looks fine and right. uh, Bateman coming to camp on PUP. I mean, it, that's a pretty severe hit. Aguilar uh, has been a durable player. In his career mm-hmm. but but never a guy that you could really trust with a big target share so i, I don't i don't think that's uh that's going to be the uh the way of it as it turns out so Ravens has got nice. some questions so yeah so we go into the first six
2: weeks of the season and do we line up at wide receiver our healthy bodies which is a rookie and Zay flowers respect mm-hmm. odell beckham maybe nelson Aguilar is healthy okay um or do you throw in what munkin likes with what he did in Georgia with the two tight ends. Maybe, yep. maybe even three tight ends, you know, throw those big bodies. You can just steal it right from Roman's offense from last year because apparently Kohler uh put on what, 10, 20 pounds of muscle. So let him go until the receivers, until they can come back and, and and relieve the troops with some healthy bodies.
1: Yeah. And then and we'll see if the offense wants to change back at that point, I guess. <laughs> but that it's it's definitely that's a that's a uh you know a, a very real possibility that that as as much as they look at this at this wide receiver and Monken talks about playing four wide and and you can play four wide obviously with two tight ends but right. he, he, he talks about playing four wide that it really ends up being a 12 offense because that's where the talent is I mean you know you, you got three tight ends as good as the Ravens have and and you want to play one per play um that would be a, a just a dire waste of talent uh to make that happen so hopefully the, the ravens will see we'll see more 12.
2: but I, could you imagine that 12 being a spread option with as good as a blocker as isaiah likely became and as good as a blocker as mark andrews came where you just run hurry up and you could switch between run looks that are heavy and pass options where you can't
1: cover them i mean that would be incredible yeah, I know. One of the things about playing hurry up with that is those same players have to stay on the field for hurry up. They can't. You can't make any offensive substitutions. So you're, right. you know, it's you're you're kind of limited in the number of nine routes you want to run with that kind of an offense. So you know, t- mm-hmm. some of your ability even to take the ta- the top off a defense with say Flowers is limited because right. of because of what you've done. But anyway, that's it's an interesting. That's a topic for another day. Another but topic. Uh, yeah. yeah. But David, I've really appreciated having this conversation with you. Uh, there's no easy place. You're not really on Twitter, right, for, 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 for us to give you a place to talk football with you, right?
2: Uh, no, not right now. I, I try and keep that limited, try and stay a fan. But
1: I'm always happy to kind of reach out to you, Ken, Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Well, we'll have you back on sometime, and I, I, I'd be really interested to hear you hear your your thoughts on some of the injuries as they occur this year. And hopefully, there won't be a lot to talk about, but there always yeah. is going to be something.
2: And, well, knock uh, on wood. You know, the team took care of that, hopefully, by uh, rearranging some of their strength and conditioning people. Because I listened to Derek Wolfe's podcast on Joe Rogan, and that was concerning, especially with the grades that the team gave their their strength and conditioning team. So,
1: yeah. Anyway, sorry, Ken. Yeah, not a high net promoter score there internally on the Ravens uh, uh, from the Ravens players. Right. All right. Uh, uh, David, thanks again. Other folks out there, if you'd like to come on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter or X or whatever the next platform might be. Uh, Please hit me up, and I'll, uh, as long as DMs are allowed, and uh, I'll try and get back to you right away. There is still some options to get in either before the season or during the regular season with a show. I uh, have a lot of content already in the bag, uh, ready to go. And we'll be starting with our daily camp reports. We're doing this on the 25th, but uh, the 26th, I'll be out there at camp for the first day. And, and uh, we'll have a, a camp report every day on there. And looking forward to that. David, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Ken. It was my pleasure. Really fun. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.